Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You are now listening to episode 226 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. And what's going on with you today, buddy? A couple days after Christmas now. Chelsea, three more points. Uh, got the feelings down a bit. Uh, the worries, I should say. Now we continue on. We got a hard match against Luton next, and hopefully we can get three more points. Yeah, um, that would be ideal. Uh, pardon me as I take a sip of beer. I need it today. Um, yeah, we we uh, I just dealt with uh, watching a very challenging game to watch. You could call it football. I'm not sure quite what it was. Uh, West Ham, really quite something. Um, I feel for any West Ham fans who have to watch that all the time. But you look at their 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 past record, their form. You got four wins in their last five. It's probably not fun to watch, but it sure is fun to win. Um, all right. Should we get into our records for the week? Yeah, another another miserable week there. <laughs> Evan down bottom two and eight. Zach three and seven. I went four and six overall. Evan and Zach are tied, 98-90. And, and I'm at 104 and 84. So Halfway through the season, we're all good positive number, which is good. Uh, but the negative weeks are hitting. Mm-hmm. One more game week for the, the calendar year, and then we move on to the next year where hopefully things can, I guess, keep up for us in that sense. The Peckhams. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that you know things should stay the way that they've been. At least we'll have a relatively positive record you know maybe not positive every week but at least stick around 500 i mean we're all positive at the moment right um yeah we'd we'd hope to end the season that way but who knows yeah and also hopefully we get a lot of injured players currently get that get them back in the next coming weeks yeah so we can get more of an idea and see these teams playing at 100 percent, which is what everybody wants to see there we want to beat the best at at their highest point so yeah for uh, sure um, okay, before we get into the recaps for this game week, uh, I have a new microphone. The audio mixing may be slightly off this week. So while while we kind of adjust it, sometimes it takes a couple of episodes because when they go to SoundCloud, they're compressed and it sounds different, doesn't sound great. On my end, it sounded okay when we did the sound check, but... I'm not making any promises on what it's going to sound like by the time it gets to you guys. So apologies if there's any uh, inconsistency in levels. Uh, that's a it's a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, my background work I worked in audio as when I was in high school, all uh, in performing arts centers, and it it bothers me very much if things aren't level. However, uh, there's not really a way for me to check how SoundCloud is going to convert the file that I upload. Um, so we will figure it out. Um, hopefully this one's good and everything I just said doesn't matter. Uh, but just in case, you know, if you feel like levels are off, don't worry, it'll get fixed. Uh, okay, Matt, should we jump into the first match? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, upset right away. Upset right away. Off the jump. Newcastle 1, Nottingham Forest 3. Alexander, <laughs> I mean, what a performance from uh, should I say, yeah, from, should we say Chris Wood from Mr. Chris Wood? 
Um, Alexander Isak opened the scoring in the 23rd on a penalty that maybe shouldn't have been a penalty. There was plenty of questions to be had about that one. Um, they rounded out the first half. They thought they'd be all right going into halftime 1-0 up. However, Chris Wood scored in the stoppage time uh, of the first half. He scored in the 46th minute. And then the halftime whistle blew. They came back out, and Nottingham Forest sprung to life through Chris Wood again. He scored in the 53rd, rounded the keeper, and then scored again in the 60th. I have not seen a, a out-of-body performance like this uh, in, in quite some time from a player like Chris Wood. This guy was doing ball rolls and stepovers and technical dribbling around the keeper and just making Newcastle defenders look absolutely silly. Uh, Anthony Alanga, Gibbs White, Hudson Odoi all getting involved, making sure that Chris Wood had excellent service. Uh, and he absolutely provided Newcastle seven shots on target versus Nottingham Forest six. But Chris Wood was just unstoppable. The guy was as clinical as it gets. And Newcastle's defensive struggles continue uh, in the face of Mr. R9, Chris Wood. I mean, he, he looked like Ronaldo Nazario. It was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, he's played 17 matches this year for Forrest in the league and made six starts. And in those six starts, he scored six of his seven goals, also one assist. So whenever this guy's in the starting lineup, he's worth putting some some cheddar on, a little sprinklage on the goal scorer tab. But yeah, I mean, four of those have been in the last two, the hat trick here, as we've already talked about. And, and funny enough, it's against his former club, which he was at for quite a while before they they sent him out to on his journey for a couple of years, um, making his jumps until he's made it to Forest now, where Nuno's going to have to ride with him. They they're riding with this four two three one formation with him at the helm, which a lot of other teams are trying this, but don't have that number nine. And it seems like he's got that big, big tall figure. He could be your target man, like a Giroud, and he can also. It seems like he's good with the ball at his feet and can. He has the composure to take guys on one on one. He torched Stanford and also drove past Dubrovka, and it really caught Newcastle off by surprise. So. They needed this win really bad. Their first win under Nuno, and I believe it was their first win in, what's that, in in seven matches, eight matches since their last win. So they were spiraling down into that drop zone, and this saved them this week because if they didn't win this game, they would have been in the relegation zone at the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really say much more. Gibbs White and Alango also played really good on the counter. Yeah, Alango's uh, very good. Yeah, he's been cooking in his own. He's got multiple goal contributions. Gibbs White's been up and down, but when he plays in that number 10 role right behind the striker, uh, that seems where he, he thrives best. And and, and they, if they can do this, and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi isn't firing to what he's done in his past when he was at Chelsea under Frank Lampard, then only bright things can come from them. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. A helter-skelter affair at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United 2 Luton Town three, uh, and really Sheffield scored four goals. Um, scoring opened with Alfie Doughty in the 17th minute. Then we had to wait quite some time for Sheffield to strike back. They did through Ollie McBurney in the 61st. Anel uh, Ahmedozic scored in the 69th. And then we saw two own goals, Jack Robinson and then Anis Ben Sliman. Uh, 77th and the 81st for those. Sheffield United 
I felt played Luton off the park, which has kind of been uh, the case with Luton, but they seemingly just synthesize goals from any sort of set piece or when there's a jumble in the box, Luton typically capitalize and they did again. I mean, two own goals is, is very tough. That's a terrible look after you come back with 20 minutes to go for Sheffield United, but the defensive struggles uh, seem to be back. Um, just very, very, very tough to see. I mean, I don't, I thought Sheffield, when they came back, it was 2-1. There was not a doubt in my mind that they'd be able to see it out, sit a couple behind the ball. Uh, but those own goals were terrible, considering the fact that Luton couldn't really summon anything else on their own. Uh, it seemed like maybe Luton's, uh, I don't want to call it an insanity run, because they're still in a tough spot, but they do have two uh, now in their last two. And they've been in a majority of those games that they've lost. Uh, I thought it would come to an end, but they get three points here in just a massive six-pointer, and it was home for Sheffield United. Uh, there is no way that, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Chris Wilder is going to be happy about that one. Yeah, considering the three goals they conceded, the first one being a mistake by Fodderingham, just yeah. had his near post through his legs, isn't really acceptable. And the second own goal, which decided the winner, was the oddest one, just Carlton Morris was playing a hard cut back to the top of the box and the deflection off Soleimani's thigh perfectly into the to the back post was unbelievable how it happened. So it took all the emotion and energy out of the stadium for sure, uh, playing in Luton's favor. So it, a big three points for them on the road. It's their only one point from safety. Um, Everton right there dropped down after their defeat this week. So it's looking bright for them. They're playing at home this week against Chelsea, which is a good match. Um, earlier in the year, we beat them three nothing handedly, handily, and they didn't really have anything there. So hopefully, it's similar to that. Cole Palmer and Sterling will be back, and we'll get into that more later. But yeah, this is a a massive result that Rob Edwards can can take in, and the squad can build off of, and give them more hope to stay up come come the end of May. Yeah. Um. Okay, Matt, tell us about. Uh, Bournemouth three, Fulham nil. Yeah, it, Fulham just didn't didn't show up really. They got played off the park. Uh, big performance from Alex Scott has been long time injured. Uh, their new signing for the, from this summer from Bristol City, an up and coming guy that a lot of people saw um, flying under the radar, and Bournemouth snatched up first, and he showed it off today, or I should say, in the game there was. Uh, got the assist on the first goal to Cliver, a massive run through the midfield. He took three, four guys on before laying it off to Cliver, uh, which Leno should have saved with his foot. Um, Solanke again doubled it down with a penalty, and then Sinister in the 92nd made a substitute appearance and scored an absolute screamer to take the roof off the stadium. Uh, Fulham, eight shots, only three on target. Had a pretty good handle on possession, 58% about. Uh, the back line just didn't show up. The fullbacks, you couldn't get the full uh, full play out of Anthony Robinson, who's been having an incredible season. And Kenny Tete came back into the lineup instead of Castagna and didn't have the performance there. Just isn't match sharp. He's been out for a little while with inconsistency in fitness and and uh, just just play on the field in total. So um, 
game all really went away when Paulinho gave up that penalty in the 62nd. Yeah. It's a dumb challenge that uh, Semenyo didn't have anywhere else to go, and 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 Paulinho, Paulinho just gave him a, a free a bail was a get out of jail for free card. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, they've been full. They've been going with Munez instead of Vinicius. We thought Vinicius would begin the start, but Munez has been up there and. They just don't have that outlet to play to to really hold things up, and they try to their job is not technically good on the ball to hold it up. And Pereira at the cam is too inconsistent at times, and I guess ultimately they're really missing Willian having yeah. him out at one of those wings. He's a specialist when it comes to holding up play and letting the team build up, or holding his width and taking fullbacks on one on one, cutting inside, and whether it's a decisive cross or a nice curling effort to the back post, they're just missing that dynamic play out there where I guess Wilson and De Cordova Reed and Nairobi just can't offer that same thing he does and we've seen for a long time with Chelsea so um, credit to Bournemouth they continue their strong run unbeaten what's that in their last seven so yeah may continue for their sake and for before the Chelsea game they were in the top half of the table and I wouldn't be surprised after this weekend if they're right back in the mix for that yeah, I mean, they've got four in their last four. It's extremely impressive. We, we say this every week now that they've won, uh, or at least drawn. You know, Iriola, he's he went from being potentially worst manager of the season to being up there, like, right now with, you know, doing one of the best jobs of the season. Pulling your team out from where they were and going on a run like this is extremely impressive. It would be no different than if... Burnley or Luton or anybody really else down in that area had done that. Um, so they, he deserves every single piece of credit that we've given him. Uh, on the Fulham side, you know, I, I look at the team on paper. I look at the way that they played a couple of weeks ago. They, they had a decent run of form there. They were scoring a lot of goals. I don't think this team is that far away from being not a contender or anything like that, but being a really solid mid-table team. You throw another striker in there, a good sound striker, you know, somebody it's not like they're they're a dime a dozen these days, but um just a goal scoring striker, somebody who can give you fifteen goals a season instead of Raul Jimenez or Muniz or even Carlos Vinicius. Just give them somebody solid up there and they're a much more threatening team. They're a much more threatening team to play against, you know, when you need a result. And right now it's just if if they the guys on the wings don't cook or you're not getting the service from Iwobi or dribbling through the center of the park, it's just not great. And like you said, missing Willian is huge. I didn't even really think about that. Um, but Andreas Pereira didn't make a huge effect in this one. But even if he did, I mean, who's he passing the ball to? It's just Rodrigo Muniz. Um, and he's very, very young. He could develop, but um, I think they're missing a veteran striker at this point whose name isn't Raul Jimenez. Yeah, I will say missing Tim Ream in the back's tough for them. That's fourth straight game he's missed out on. Hopefully he'll be back for their next one where they'll, where they'll be hosting Arsenal. And then on the Bournemouth side, I think I forget which players said it. They did a post-match interview or a pre-match, and they said that the it might have been Solanke that Iriola's instructions at the start of the year were very complicated, and it was it took a little while for the players to understand what he meant. Mm-hmm. And it, it showed in their results, and now everybody's clicked. And you're seeing why in the performances they figured out a way to play to their strengths and optimize their chances going forward. So, And then they have the guys who come off the bench to also, that also carry out the same goal, if not with more intensity. So 
Um, I guess it also helps that they're not dealing with as many injuries, too. We always come back to that as a cop-out. But going forward, they're not dealing with many injuries. But the back line, limited as it is, having to play Dango Otara at left back. And they're still getting clean sheets. So, um, yeah, yeah, Levi Colo needs to learn something from him there. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next one. Burnley nil, Liverpool 2. This one went how everybody expected. Goals from Darwin Nunez in the sixth, which was scored on a drag, and another from Diogo Jota, where he beat the keeper. Very tight angle in the 90th minute uh, were the difference. Liverpool weren't at their soaring best, just like they weren't against Arsenal. Um, I actually think Burnley did a decent enough job of controlling them. Unfortunately, this is what happens. They go, they sit back, they lose 2-0. This is what happens all the time against teams like City, against teams like Liverpool. Happened a little bit last year with Arsenal. You cannot win or draw playing the way that Burnley played in this one. Committed very few men forward. Nine shots to Liverpool's 19. Shots on target. Difference was 0-10. to And Liverpool controlled all of the possession. Uh, Maybe you get lucky on a counterattack once and again, but it's very, very rare. Uh, Liverpool were airtight at the back. Uh, yeah, I was thoroughly unimpressed with Burnley, as I have been uh, almost every game this season outside of that one game that they scored five goals, and I said, are they back? Uh, I don't think that is the case. They've looked very poor, and like you said, I, you've said many times, company surely has to go at some point. I, maybe he does. I mean, this is this is horrendous ball being played. Out of the three newly promoted teams, would you rank them third in your power rankings right now? No, I still think... Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I think I would. I think Sheffield occasionally exhibits some passion. Burnley have not showed that to me. It's it's very, very bad. Mm, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any time if there's going to be a change. I don't see the pressure on him. Yeah, Lyle Foster's I mean, back, though. Yeah, he, he played good in the last one, got an assist, and this one wasn't much of a factor. And Dooney, I like his dynamic play on the ball. He's a bit explosive, but had a few opportunities where he could have set guys in, and just the decision-making was a little slow, and it cost him. And they had nine shots, as you mentioned, but none were on target. So couldn't find a way to score on this Liverpool back line that we've seen many teams exposed especially down that trent i mean this would have been a prime opportunity going down Trent's side with young kwanza out there or i think that's how you pronounce it but that would have been a perfect opportunity to go after him i mean joe gomez has been playing well filling in a left back and hopefully we'll be well we're gonna have to see more of him with simi and robertson out uh until maybe january next week they might have to fill in a short-term guy there but think Anthony Robinson's been linked with them. I don't think that should go through. Robinson should keep playing with Fulham. We'll get game after game minutes where here he'll just be a rotation guy, but that's ultimately up to him, and we'll see how fair those rumors are. But uh, Burnley's sake, yeah, it's a tough loss. Trafford did well once again, having to face 10 shots in this game. And limiting it only to two, he did a very good job. Could have been a lot, lot worse. He's developing a bit. Uh, I don't know how much you can develop really in this Burnley team just because the guys in front of you are horrendous. That Vitinho guy got fucking rinsed. Uh, yeah, like absolutely cooked, man. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's so hard saw, when Dara O'Shea is in front of you. I don't we know. We saw Ramsdale go through this when he was with Sheffield when they first came up and finished in seventh the one year. So I think Burnley need David Raya. 
I'm pretty sure that's who they need. So maybe uh, they can buy him from us in January. Okay. What's up? I thought they made that loan permanent. Yeah, they did. He can go though. Surely they can they can make the paperwork work so that he can just leave us immediately. Since seems like Ramsdale's is going to be the one to leave. Uh, I and I will stop watching Arsenal. Whether it's in the winter or the summer, it seems like he's going to be gone. Seventy mil, hopefully. All right, let's move on. Men United three, Aston Villa two, ruining my parlay and probably the parlay of ten thousand others. Aston Villa took a two nil lead with John McGinn and Leander Dendonker scoring within five minutes of one another in the twenty first and twenty sixth minute, respectively. Uh, but the second half was the Alejandro Garnacho show. He scored in the fifty ninth. He scored in the seventy first, uh, and then none other but Rasmus Hoyland got on the score sheet for the first time only took him 15 games he scored in the 82nd to seal all three points for manchester united um did you at least feel good that he scored you could see me yeah i don't know he's like one of my agenda players i mean on a personal level sure uh but my just my agenda died the passion that was coming out of his pores and you could tell everybody onana made a full field run up to him he did that's yeah i know it's it's good to see i suppose um garnacho i didn't think he had it but i'll tell you what this guy has showed up multiple times now when they've needed uh rashford forgot what offsides was that was a problem uh throughout wow. this game I don't know. It was I mean, good to see him back, but they'll play with that high line. They play. They that's the dice that Unai rolls with. They play high press. The back line's tight. If you time it right with your pace, you can get in behind. Bruno got in behind quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, Garnacho was scored three goals in this game. The one was varred off, but I mean, that's what you want. I mean, they figured it out. They got away. People, I think, Patrice, Patrice Evra when they were down two 0 at the half. His halftime talk said if they keep doing what they're doing and times things right, they'll win this game, and they did. So that's a legend right there. He sees it. And it's that's. I think this is a tough pill for Villa to swallow here. This was a weekend they could have jumped on the opportunity with Arsenal losing to, to jump ahead and be level with Liverpool and keep pushing them. But I guess you're seeing the cracks there, and people are starting to dissect this team and realize where the – the areas are that we can break them down and yeah. sit back, treat them a little bit differently, give them a little bit more credit and respect. And if you can counter it like what a West Ham team does, then they have to adjust and they might not be able to cope with that. They might. It seems like we saw it last week with Sheffield. They really struggle to break those low block teams if you treat them as such. And Man United in the second half just dominated them on the counter and couldn't deal with the pace in behind. So. Um, it's a big credit to United. I don't think this will keep up. We know this. They're not consistent. So they'll go be that we might see them drop points here to force this weekend, uh, back to normal, but this is a, a bright moment for them to jump on it. And what do you think about the choice of starting Ericsson well, and Mainu at, instead of McTominay getting in there? So this is what I was going to say. I think this if you are looking for a cohesive midfield with two functioning players with functioning brains, this is the best way that United can line up. Maybe not Evans. Maybe that's the sole one that I would swap out for McGuire. Yeah, I think he's been like improperly slandered this year. He's actually been 
pretty good. Um, this is the best team that they can submit. Sandra Martinez is going to be coming back around the same time he does. Yeah, so that's that's huge. You get Varane and Lissandra Martinez in there. I'm not fucking huge on Lissandra Martinez either just because of his size. I mean, he's, he's all right, but... Um, He's the best ball playing center back. Yes, yeah, that's there's no doubt about that. Veron is more of an actual defender. Um, Lissander Martinez is definitely more technically skilled. Uh, so it's it's nice to have, there's no doubt. But I think Rashford, Garnacho, Fernandez across the front with Hoyland up top is probably the best United can do. There are no other players. Anthony shouldn't be, even be getting time. It should be looked at as a failed project. Everyone has those players that you bought and they just fucking suck. It was Pepe for Arsenal. It was horrible. Chelsea has had those players. Um, it, it happens. This is the the way that they should line up for the rest of the season, barring injury. And if you're a United fan, you can you know take this game and say, all right, let's run with it. You know, let's see if if it injects a little bit of something in the players and see where does this take us? Because I think, you know. A game like this, a statement win, it does so much more for the locker room than anybody can imagine. I'm sure they were over the moon about this one. You know, even with everything that's happened at United the last three months, you know. Yeah, uh, Watkins has been getting really shut out of games the last few weeks, this in December. It seems like the service dries up when he's just sitting there in between the two center backs. And like I mentioned, teams are playing low blocks, so he doesn't really have many pockets of space to get in behind for service. And the balls coming in aren't, I mean, they have to be, excuse me, they have to be perfect for him to get on and have a chance in goal. So, and you can't consistently get that, that serve, you can't consistently get those balls and deliver to you on a good basis. So, He's got to take the opportunities when they come, and it just doesn't seem like he's able to. So um, hopefully it gets better for him, fantasy-wise, biased for me. But overall, they're still in a good spot. They're well above where anybody thought they'd be. So uh, they'll just have to take this and move on. We know Unai Media talks about him just always being at the football ground, always putting in the grind. Doesn't really get too close to his players on a personal level, but is a proper pro and understand what it takes to stay at this high level yeah okay uh matt up next your boys in blue chelsea two crystal palace one tell us about this one yep perfect bounce back game Rui hodson can't can't beat us palace can't beat us they said we haven't lost to them since 2017 didn't make it easy on the eyes um had to win in our normal fashion when with a late penalty given to us. That's the only way we can win these tight games, it seems. Good pen, though. Um, but the first 30 minutes look great. Mudrik, big factor. Getting in behind, cutting through. Uh, scored in the 13th. Gusto with the assist. Um, from there on, and Kunku couldn't really get involved in the game. Him and Jackson were rotating up front and in behind. We had Ian Matson starting at right wing, which I thought was weird yes, when odd. we had Medwick. I mean, Medwick, it would have been the perfect start there. We saw him get the winner in the 89th. He took the penalty. Uh, but right before the first half ended, Michael Lissig got in a great goal um, delivered from IU on the back post for first-time volley. Petrovic didn't really have any time to react, and that really killed the vibe at Stanford Bridge and set us back. And 
Poch before the game said this is this is the type of game we need to be winning. You can take that as you want, whether it's against a team like Palace or a massive six pointer when we're we're dropping points here and there. But um, he got the job done. The subs made a bit of a difference. Tiago Silva coming in, delivering good balls in behind. Uh, Madweka, as I said, got the winner on a pen. We got to see Romeo, Romeo Lavia's first appearance for us. Yep. Um, him and Caicedo in the middle seems like a great partnership. Um, Lavia, you could clearly see, just like Caicedo's first appearance was at the start of the season, uh, a little slow on the ball, getting caught up. Um, Decision-making was, wasn't there, so we'll have to wait a few weeks to get the full potential out of him, or I guess what he's going to offer us, battling for position time with Enzo in there, as well as Gallagher, it seems. And it's we're getting fully fit. It's good to see. Joel's going to be back soon after this next game. And same thing goes with Sterling and Cole Palmer after their one-match suspension. They weren't available here. And I'm sure Nkunku's going to have to be pushed up to the nine. If not, Broya will be up there because Jackson's going to AFCON. Yep. And we'll see how that works. Um, I'd like to see Nkunku more on the ball. You could definitely tell when he was on the ball. He adds a bit of flair, and he's very confident on the ball. He's just composed. I wish you guys lack. Yeah, we'll see how after a couple of weeks if the disease gets to him too. <laughs> uh, we saw this with Mudrik, his first couple appearances. You could see the dynamic ability and the and the, the and killer instinct on the ball, fearless, and it got drained out of him eventually. So we'll see if Nkunku can stay away from that since he's older. Um, hopefully that helps him a bit, keeps that off. But yeah, happy with the win. Palace, tough to see for them. They really fought. Eze was a complete non-factor in this game, which is yeah. great on our end. And yeah, I'm just really happy. Really happy with the three points. We can move on. Yeah, I think Chris Richards had a really nice game. I'd, I'd like to give some credit to him. Yeah, uh, he's, he's been very good, honestly. I think filling in in his non-native position. But um, <clears throat> like you said, as a huge non-factor, uh, Mateta... He's been okay. I think he's better than Edward is, but again, you know, not not getting yourself on the score sheet is tough. Uh, Olise, that chest down finish was divine. Um, the confidence you have to have to bring that right down and finish as coolly as he did. Uh, what what a player he is, and, and what a finish that was. Great steal from Chelsea to to get back into it. I, I gotta ask you about Moises Caicedo. You you think this guy's actually good, or do you think like you guys way overpaid for him? Um, I mean, for the value and the length of the contract, if he's here the whole time, hopefully it's worth it. But obviously up front, it's not there. Ideally, if you're paying that much for somebody, you want to be having an absolute mega impact on the team and having us in the top four race, if not a title race, but there's a lot of moving pieces. He started the year with no preseason because of the contract and wanting to leave Brighton and not, not training on purpose. So yeah. he was slow from the get go there, suspension issues and illness. It's been an inconsistent year for him. Hopefully with this little break coming up, he can get some rest and with some competition in the squad, once again, it'll push him to be at his best. It seems like at times these players are de facto starters and they don't really see that they need to push themselves. And if we can have a fully fit 25-man squad with all this competition, it'll it'll make the best 
out of uh, the team on the field and we'll give the fans what we want and just tie in performances. So, uh, no, to your question, it's not been worth the price, but okay. you can see, obviously, with Brighton, he, you can see where, where he can be. And slowly but surely, if he can have a nice partner next to him that he's familiar with and understands what they're good at and where he can provide cover for them and they can do the same vice versa, that'll be good. Because last year it was McAllister with him. They played every game together. And this year he's had three different guys with him in Gallagher, Enzo, now Lavi is in there. So we'll see moving forward. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I just... He doesn't. He doesn't quite move the needle for me at Chelsea. Still a little slow to get to the ball. He's he, like coming late. He seems like he's lacking like a spark or like in his acceleration. I mean, he was so quick. He was like a, a vacuum cleaner at at Brighton. He was just all over the pitch. And I don't know. It's it. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a, a sluggishness to the way that he's playing. I don't. I don't. I don't know. He just seems. It seems like that was maybe an overpriced purchase. And it's just like another player that I look at and I'm like, he could be really, really good or it could kind of just fizzle and be, you know, all right. Uh, It's, I don't know. It's just a question I was asking because when I go on Twitter and I see a lot of people, you know, talking, it's, it's totally divided. It's some people saying bust, he's complete shit. He was way over expensive or people saying he's actually really good. Here are the numbers, you know, the, the deep, they're bullshit stats to be honest with you it's when you go looking for stats to support your argument but you know people post them as receipts and and whatever i think chelsea have made a lot of good signings he right now is on the uh on the cusp for me i don't know uh i but he deserves a little bit of more time and probably really the rest of this season uh and maybe even a little bit of next season in a functioning midfield uh for us to really kind of know what he's he's worth yeah, I think we'll see the best of him in the next few weeks with players coming back. I think I think we really will. I think the results will start coming. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on. We had Brentford one, Wolves four, an absolute cookout at the G Tech Community Stadium. Wolves came to town, uh, and Mario Lamina scored a goal in the thirteenth, assisted by Pablo Sarabia. Uh, PSG reject, of course. He's been fantastic for them over the past month and a half. Yuan uh, Vis scored in the... Oh, I'm sorry. Huang He Chen actually added another in the next minute, which I forgot. Uh, then Yuan Vis scored in the 16th minute. Uh, and then it was all downhill from there. Huang added another one in the 28th to make it 3-1. And Jean Richner, Bellegarde, who came from either... I don't think he came from Lens. Strasbourg. He came from Strasbourg. Uh, in France at the beginning of the season. Uh, he scored in the 79th. He also stepped on somebody's face once this season. If you're trying to put a face to the name, it was the guy that got a red for stepping on someone's head. Uh, 14 shots for the Bees, 11 of those on target, 5, uh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> 14 shots for Brentford, 11 shots for Wolves, uh, 4 shots on target for Brentford, and 5 shots on target for Wolves. The difference being Wolves' clinicality, uh, Huang He Chen, another player. I mean, I, I got a book of these players that I was just way too early on. He is in sensational form for Wolves this season. Ten uh, league goals, just one behind Wang Min Son. Two of the top uh, five scores in the Prem this year, I believe, are South Korean. Would you believe that? 
Yeah, he's leaving the first of the month to go to South Korea for the for the Asian Cup. He left this game early due to back spasms, it's listed as, but secured a brace. What's that now? He scored nine, ten. nine or ten, ten goals now, so he's up there as one of the top scorers in the league, putting him in sixth position behind his fellow countrymen and son. So mm-hmm. he's doing the job on a team that is mid-table historically. And it's good to see. He's got the supporting cast, and he's not one to really do too much on the ball. Although the was it the first or no his second goal, uh, great flick over Pinnock and calmly smacked it in the bottom left. So uh, I will say for Brentford, Nathan Collins had an absolute stinker yeah. against his former club. That second goal in the match you mentioned a minute later, it was directly after the kickoff went right past back to Collins. Collins under hit the pass to Flecken. Wang He Chang got their first tap to buy him and scored immediately. It has to be a record for the the quickest back to back goals by a team yeah. in the league, I would have to believe. It's like fifteen seconds between the two. So um he had a stinker. They went with a back four. No Ben Me in this game, which you could tell they missed. And they had their two, I guess, backup fullbacks in this game as well. You got Sam Godus at left back, who's conventionally like more of an advanced winger, and Rorslev is usually like a backup fullback for them. So um, they're struggling in the back line. Ben Me still, I forgot, he was dealing with that suspension for that straight red. So he's still going to be out for their next game as well. And it's really showed in their results. That's, that's uh, four straight defeats, five in their last six. They're dropped off. They've been dropping off the wagon and. They just don't have the firepower to keep them in these games if they make one or two small mistakes with Lewis Potter, who's a young player, was their signing was their biggest signing they made. Uh, Malpai former formerly came from this club, left to go to Brighton and for Everton ended up back here and still hasn't developed much. And then Jan Vies is gonna have to be that guy he scored here, but it's too much to ask of him when he was the third string Natonian and Buemo. So it's uh, not adding up. Thomas Frank, you could tell during the match, they kept panning him and he didn't really have any answers. Constantly chewing his gum. That's probably the strongest draw in the league. And yeah, they just don't have the answers at the moment, it seems like. Yeah, that's the truth. Um, I have no idea what to say for Brentford. I mean, it's it's just a huge loss with uh, no Embuemo and, and no Rico Lewis. It's very, very, or not Rico Lewis. What's his name? Rico Henry. Rico Henry. Rico Lewis plays for City. Um, yeah, very, very challenging to you know stay in it when you're starting Neil Mopai every game. Uh, I know he scored a couple of goals, but man, he is shit. Okay, let's talk about Everton 1, City 3. Boring. I thought maybe Everton would, would stay in this one, but unfortunately, uh, overpowered by City. Jack Harrison with a goal in the 29th. Uh, good for him. I believe all of his family were there to to see that. Uh, that was great. Uh, seven shots total for Everton. Two of those on target. 27% possession. Uh, story of the day was Phil Foden and Julian Alvarez, who were filling in for KDB uh, and Erling Holland on the goal-scoring front. Uh, Alvarez has been a bit of a ghost stepping in for Holland. I don't think he's played all that great. Uh, Foden, same thing. Uh, those are two players that I just like. Obviously, they're capable of the immense moments and are very skilled. 
Uh, they're just so far behind what City are normally dealing with 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 KDB uh, and ha uh, and Holland. But you know, whatever they got the job done. Uh, Foden in the 53rd, Alvarez on a penalty in the 64th, and then Bernardo Silva, who just does not get any credit for how good he is in the 86th minute. Uh, Everton just wilted after the first goal. Tough to see. We know City are. I don't want to say they're becoming known for conceding early and then just getting themselves back into it, but it's not like they are, you know, locked down defensively all the time. They do concede. They concede, you know, semi-often. Uh, and Everton, I, I didn't have great hope that they'd stay in it. Uh, but, you know, for a minute after he scored, I was like, all right, let's get a draw at least. And now, you know, looking down the fucking barrel after we lost to West Ham today, City have a fucking another game in hand. They always somehow manage to get a game in hand uh, and are only three points behind Arsenal in second and five points off the top. Yeah, Phil Foden, incredible match. Should have had almost another worldie laid on off the post. Um, he just had, was balling out at the number 10 position. And yeah, at moments you looked at Everton and thought they were doing a really good job, even down 3-1. Uh, feel like felt like they were accomplished and were in this game at times, but ultimately talent and class won at the end of the day. And yeah, um, brutal penalty decision though I will say on City's game winner, the handball. I don't know your thoughts on it, but it's a Ake kicks the ball up. You could see I think it was Onana. His arms are tucked in. And it, the ball hits his hand, and obviously the momentum and the pressure is going to push his arm outwards into what seems like a, a handball situation. But I don't know. I felt like that was really tough and brutal on Everton. Uh, once again, there's absolutely zero consistency in the way they call penalties in the Premier League. Uh, the handball rule is seemingly not defined the way that it used to be. Um, you know, I, there's always been bad calls that are made that's refereeing in every sport ever. Um, but I feel like I've seen more egregious handballs this year than haven't been called. So I agree. I think that was, you know, really kind of harsh on Everton, but, uh, clearly, you know, the FA has no issues being harsh on Everton while they let city off. You know, it's, that's not surprising at all. What do you think about far replays being in full speed only game games? Game-like speed. Seems, seems odd to me as a viewer, but I understand it in these for the sake of consistency with the way that it was called on the field. You know, you know what I'm trying to convey? Yeah, I mean, so if the, it's, games are, the games are not played in slow-mo replay mode. They're right. in, they're, we're, it's the highest end of, of athletes, the top of the top playing at the big at the, the, the high speeds mm -hmm. and he, the refs are seeing this and they have to make split second decisions on whether it's a foul or or certain certain decisions i guess they have to make in the end but when they have slow-mo replay and they can replay the same thing 10 15 times it makes things look looks things worse than what they actually are and the context kind of gets distorted so right but what's I, the point if they're not using that as the other side of uh, i'm playing devil's advocate but like, what the actual fuck is the point if you're not going to use slow motion to make the correct call? Because that is what VAR was created to do, was correct calls that were incorrectly called or not called on the field. I just don't get, I don't understand why it's even here. Why do we have it? 
I think the VAR was more so the idea was brought for goals in that uh, than, than just, than, I guess, cards and stuff. We're seeing it more used for giving red cards this year. We've seen so many red cards this year, and we're only happy yeah. through the season due to VAR being reviewed for violent conduct and such. And it's it's the foot placement in that, but ideally you want VAR for today with the Bowen goal. You, you need you need a sky cam or some sort because his body was blocking the view of the ball and there wasn't enough credible evidence to, dis, to decipher if the ball was fully across the line or not. I don't understand why they couldn't make that decision in the Premier League, but we saw this same exact situation happen in the World Cup where Japan got a game winner and ultimately made it through to the knockout stage by a millimeter of yeah. the ball staying in bounds with a sky cam or a goal line technology thing. So I don't know why that technology isn't carried over to the Prem where they have the most money and should have the highest end of technology and should have this covered. But it seems like there's more issues. And Arsenal got screwed on that. We'll get to that later, but they got screwed on it earlier with Newcastle as well on that yeah. three, the three the three-legged um, VAR check for their goal they conceded and lost to Newcastle. Yeah, and there's I want to have a conversation about that. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, okay, yeah, let's move on. Brighton 4, Tottenham 2. Uh, Brighton absolutely cooking. Young Jack Hinchelwood uh, with the opening goal in the 11th. Then João Pedro uh, with a penalty in the 23rd on a very, very, very clear pen and what, you know, to my eyes... Um, obviously had to go to VAR and then the pen was given. Of course it did. Uh, referee couldn't see it for himself, but it was a quick situation. So I understand it a little bit. Uh, Pedro scored, uh, again later on, but Purvis is stupid. Uh, was the one who scored the third goal in the 63rd. That was a wonder goal as well. Very, very nice from him. Uh, Pedro, another penalty in the 75th. I believe he registered an assist as well in this game. Had like 40 fantasy points, which was crazy. Uh, then in the 81st, uh, Alejo Veliz got one back, and Ben Davies got one back in the 85th. But Spurs were not as threatening as they, uh, as I probably would have expected. I thought Kulu, Richarlison's son, I thought those guys would really kind of uh, cook up this back line, but... Uh, this Jack Henshawwood kid has been a goal-scoring threat since he's come in. He scored two goals. I think he's probably played less than five games at this point. Uh, James Milner registered an assist. Uh, Brighton were cooking on on all sorts of uh, levels today, and they played my favorite formation, the 4-1-2-1-2 narrow. One of my favorite formations ever, and it worked really, really well for them going forward. So um, well done to Deserby. He's obviously a man of culture like I am. <laughs> well, agreed. I I do take a uh, nod with that point, but uh, I don't think he had a choice because he did. He doesn't have wingers. On, I know. His winger, all of his wingers are on the IR, so <laughs> not much choice there. Um, still, with all these injuries, Evan Ferguson does not get the start. Goes with Danny Welbeck, who could have had a brace in this game. That's big Welbs. Um, he's going to get big minutes though in the next few weeks due to obviously all those injuries and also well, Dinger was meant to go on. Adinger and Matoma were going to go to their international duties, but they're both on the IR. So he's going to be playing a lot, rotating with Ferguson, and then Jao Pedro firing on those two pens is big. So they need to get their goals where they are. Um, 
I guess for Tottenham, that when you look at their formation and their lineup here, that interior back four, when I meant to say that, I mean the two center backs and the two DMs. It seems like that's where ultimately they lost the game. They couldn't deal with Welbeck and Pedro's movement. Uh, ben Davies and Royale, conventional fullbacks. Ben Davies later in his career now moved to center back. It just didn't work out for them. And they were just getting buried early on and giving up those two early goals in the game really set them back and they couldn't open up and be creative as going forward as they'd like. And Kulisevsky had a bad game at that 10 roll, unlike the last few matches where he's been firing off. And Brighton needed this game bad because all the teams behind them were creeping and they've been dropping result after result. But getting a big win over a top five team there and putting the brakes on Angeball, uh, that's a big statement for Deserby moving forward. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go to the last one. I suppose I have a lot to say. Uh, Arsenal nil, West Ham two. Thomas, Thomas Suchek with a goal in the thirteenth, and Konstantinos Mavropanos, who I called last week the worst center back in the league, scoring Yikes. in the fifty-fifth minute. He is. He's still Formerly the worst of Arsenal. He's still the worst. No, we never had Mavropanos. We had uh, Socrates, uh, who was f- once again when he was in the when he was in the Premier League, he no. was the fucking worst. Did we have him he too? Was- 2017 to 2019, he played six matches for Arsenal. Oh my god, I don't even remember that. Yeah, we six, had two Greek center backs. He had six six appearances in the Prem in those two years, and he made one Europa League appearance in 1920 season. I guess And then you guys loaned him to Nuremberg, went to Stuttgart, and then was at West Ham this year. Jesus Christ, I didn't even. I, I do not remember that. Um, okay, so yeah, he scored in the 55th minute. Uh, fuck, shit, though, shit player. Uh, 30 shots <laughs> for Arsenal, 6 shots for West Ham, 8 shots 30. on target for Arsenal, 3 shots on target for West Ham. 75% possession and 746 passes played for Arsenal. 25% possession and 262 passes made for West Ham. And the scoreline was 2-0. Um, the Suchek goal was simple, simply enough. West Ham players scrambled to get to the ball while Arsenal players sat and didn't make any effort to get to the ball. Saliba included. Ben White included, Raya included, who Raya refuses to claim a ball in his area. If the ball is within the six-yard box, make a fucking effort to get to it. It's your job. You should have the loudest voice on the pitch every fucking game you play. You're the keeper. You're the one supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be the one in charge of your defender's Call it out. Tell somebody to get to it or claim it for yourself. There doesn't seem to be any of that. It's He's horrific. I know when he came in, I said, I don't mind the competition. Clearly, he won the competition somehow. I don't know how. Ramsdale must be showing up to fucking training absolutely pissed because Raya is fucking horrific. He's so bad. Um, That was horrible. That goal was horrible. But... 
It was a VAR situation. Did the ball go out of bounds? There was a check. I didn't even think they would check it. And by the time they did check it, I was like, fuck it. There was, they were so, you know, lackadaisical with the way that they defended it. Just give them the fucking goal anyway. I didn't want to take it off the board. Turns out, probably was off, out, out, but there was not conclusive evidence, so whatever. Then the point is, what's the fucking point of the check? Um, the only reason it was inconclusive is because they don't have a camera angle that goes above the goal line. I don't understand what the point of all of the angles besides that are. Why would you not have that angle? That seems odd to me, but they don't have it on the touchline. So, you know, it is what it is. 1-0. Arsenal continue to control the entire pace of play, control the ball. Uh, Odegaard cooks five defenders per possession. Uh, Saka, a bit of a ghost to be fair. Uh, I thought Trossard was decent. I think Rice was okay. Uh, both wingers, Martinelli and Saka, were absolutely fucking horrific. And Jesus doesn't do anything besides track back sometimes, so he couldn't get onto the end of anything. There there was just nothing in the final third for us. There was no finishing ability. Uh, and then we concede on a corner to Mavropanos. Uh, nice header, I guess, but again, Raya rooted to his line, didn't make any effort whatsoever to even position himself uh, where Mavropanos might head or, you know, head the ball. Uh, I thought this was just horrific. After the first goal, West Ham put 10 behind the ball. Every shot we took got blocked. We still managed 30 shots. This was one of the worst games to watch, I think, of the year. Um, West Ham are in sixth in the table, but like... I don't. I I would kill myself if I was a West Ham fan. I don't know how you can watch your team play like that. It's so fucking boring, 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 boring dog shit football. Um, I honestly hope they never win anything again. I was so upset watching the game. It was so boring. I wanted to rip my eyes out of my head. Yeah, this is this is what what you get after a fresh, freshly finished game. Just oh, straight. I was straight, livid. Straight impulsive thoughts. It's just, dude. That there is some shit football being played. Ten men park the bus. Cancer block ball is tough to watch. Chelsea played it for a long time too, and it, it wasn't this bad, dude. Chelsea had a style. This was <laughs> stick your leg out, block it. Ugly. No goals from forwards because forwards didn't touch the ball. That was not fun to watch. Unfortunate, though, for West Ham, they did have a big loss on Good. the day. Paquetta did get injured. Um, apparently got injured in the pre-match warm-ups continued to start the match but it, whatever it was flared up it seemed like it was a knee issue so he came out in the first half and around the 30th minute sideman Rama came on had a late penalty in the 90th minute james ward prowse was right there ready to take the ball from him ben rama keeps it and it was saved by raya thankfully so the next time that happens hopefully jwp gets the job done but who am i to say he scored every goal last year for southampton but um yeah, I mean, big, 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 big three points for West Ham. Only three points behind Tottenham, only four behind City for a top four place. Ultimately, they will get 
found out, uh, and we were talking before the show, I think, that um, if you score the first goal on them, they can't play like this. Nope. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. You need to be sturdy, prepared for their counterattack ball. And because Bo and Kudus are great outlets to find for those counters. So um just comes down to quick game plan. Uh, Arsenal, did credit to them. They didn't really have much time to prepare for this game, but... Um, you had 30 shots. You needed to put at least one away to get the crowd more into the game. Yeah. The Emirates was pretty quiet. And, yeah, I mean, you just need that energy back in them. And the players that came off the bench didn't really add too much of a difference. Nothing. In Rowe, and Katsy and Reese, or, and yeah, and Reese Nelson. So, um, just didn't have the juice. I guess it ultimately came down to missing Kai Havertz, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, let me tell you something about Mikel. Uh, they were booing some of our players, the fans, the home fans, uh, because they weren't making anything out of the forward play. And Mikel turned around behind the bench and fucking yelled at the fans to be quiet. To be quiet. So they did. They listened. And the entire stadium, seemingly the entire stadium, was silent after the 20th minute. It was so odd. He, I saw a touchline. Somebody took a picture from the other side of the crowd. Mikel, for there was a video, a minute and a half, facing away from the pitch, yelling at the fans behind the bench. Focus on the game, dog. Focus on what's going on in front of your eyes. Your job is to manage, not control the fans. It's ridiculous. And the fans are, are people that su have supported him all the way through, for the most part, and love him. It's that's a terrible look, and it's just I don't know. And he's he's off crying about fucking VAR again. Don't cry about VAR, man. Give the players a game plan before this one when you know exactly what West Ham are gonna do. He should have known exactly how they were gonna play. I knew how they were gonna play. You knew how they were gonna play. Anybody that sits down and watches them when they play a top six club knows exactly what they were gonna do, and these players were not prepared for it. So shame on them and shame on Mikel. It's a fucking disgrace. And we see in the documentary, he was like playing Anfield ambience and during yeah, training. He, exactly. Just like the, you'll never walk alone at like max volume and stuff. It's just you can't control what 60,000 people are going to no. say at the stadium. I mean, you can only control what you can. And that comes down to your team, your, your coaching staff, discussing what you can do to change who you can inject to make a difference in the team. And if anything, you need to encourage the fans to get louder and to push the team on. They need that. It seems like they needed that energy. That energy, they needed that pressure on West Ham to really get down on them, to really get in their heads. And it just wasn't their day. Not every day you can play at your top game. It no. wasn't this one. Then they'll have to learn from it. It's, it's very simple to me. Arsenal excel in tight spaces with Odegaard and Saka and Martinelli and Jesus players and even Trossard players that are very, very good and rice too at dribbling in tight space, getting through the final defender and finishing calmly. However, if you cannot get through four or five defenders, then you have to take your chances from further out. You need to stretch the defense Play the ball wide, work it back to the center, and you might not get a shot from the fucking penalty marker. You might have to take your shot from the edge of the 18. You might have to take your shot from, you know, even further back than that. 
and they didn't do it until the end. And when they started to shoot at the end of the game, it stretched West Ham, and you could tell they were making more mistakes than they had made at the beginning of the game and even towards the middle. Uh, Odegaard hit the post almost. Uh, I think he did wind up hitting the post. Um, same thing with Saka. He hit the post. That one was close, but he at least had the wherewithal to shoot the fucking ball. They didn't shoot enough today. I know it says 30 shots. That's not really indicative of how many shots were truly threatening. They just didn't do it, and they, they didn't adapt today. They deserve to lose. There's no doubt about it because they just couldn't finish. But, um, yeah, what a misery that was. Does this change your outlook on the next few weeks? No, I, no I don't think so. Um, just take it on the chin and move on? Yeah, you have to, but at the same time, you have to hold Arsenal accountable for what they just the product that they just put out there. I think we should be able to batter Fulham. Uh, same thing with Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest after that. Uh, the run of hellish games is over until uh, match day 23, uh, which is February 4th against Liverpool. Uh, I'm not sure when exactly uh, we restart Champions League. That's usually February as well. Uh, so we got a little bit to worry about there. But I'm pretty sure uh, you know, we should be okay in these next couple of games. But that we cannot leave any room for you know, a VAR decision or uh, a, a bad back pass or anything like that squeaky to decide these games. They need to get out and they need to fly the way that they did last year. Score fucking goals. You have one of the best front lines in the Premier League. Score the goals. Everybody needs to show up. Yeah, a little teaser in what we're going to do in the next week or so. But what do you think Arsenal missed out here in the team squad that could have made a difference, I guess, going forward? You mean lineup-wise? Like a position you think you could improve uh, on? Fucking actual number nine. Uh, we need a striker. I I like Gabriel Jesus. I think he's an excellent player, very talented. What's the build? Ivan Ivan Tony. Yeah, just yeah. a big, proper number nine. I mean, if I... Chris Wood earlier, like a big frame. If it's my pick, like maybe Osaman, but obviously that's not... like Osaman and Tony are kind of built the same way. Tony might be an inch taller. Um, got the pace. But Osaman is really, really fast. I, I think a player like that... Osaman is basically Nico Jackson, but actually talented. So um, yeah. if you... Th- like throw a player like that in this Arsenal team and actually let Saka and Martinelli whip balls in instead of always trying to work the byline, I think we become, uh, we, we add another dimension because Gabriel Jesus is not a player that you can just cross to. You know, we saw a couple times today, he missed a few open headers. It's very tough uh, with his size, regardless of his jumping ability to get your head on the ball all the time. So uh, yeah, maybe a formation switch. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, this is the way I, l- I like this 4-3-3. Uh, but if you get a true number nine uh, and you want to play a second striker, you're going to have to switch things up. And I don't know if... Well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I know. Your, your, your team's built on wingers. Yeah, well, it's not working, though, is it? You're in second. You only lost three games. But, the, but, the, but these wingers aren't doing what they did last year. They're not... Co- well, they, they do best with space in behind. And when West Ham goes up early and they sit deep, they don't have the space in behind to, to get after. And you talk about the tight spaces. It's they have, You have to have certain things go right. You have to have the bounce, ball bounce in a certain direction for you to succeed. And it just wasn't their day. So I don't think you can... 
dig too much into or I guess overthink things like this. You just need to get that first goal early on on these teams so they can't sit sit back like this for 90 minutes. I mean, the... if you're if you make it 60, 70 minutes into this game and it's nil-nil, West Ham's content with it finishing like that and they're not going to change, so they're going to wait for that opportunity to counter on you. So maybe it becomes a situation where maybe Mikel tells the team to stop pressing for 5 to 10 minutes, lets West Ham get a little comfortable on the ball, deceive them into thinking they have a little bit of, of momentum and, and possession, and then that's when you catch them out and get that quick counter. So maybe it, maybe it's a coaching point like that that changes it. You give them false confidence, but... I don't know. That's one way I on think about that, that's, it. That should I agree. I think that should have been the um, the really the game plan from the jump was let them control the ball. Let's see what they have in the tank today. And you know if you the odds of conceding are probably pretty low considering you have Saliba back there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that's how they should have uh, you know started the game. I will say though, I I think Saka and Martinelli have been like very poor compared to how they were last year. I yeah, yeah. they have been. They're just they're not on the same uh level right now because they're being controlled. Like they're Saka's doubled every single time you see him with the ball. He is fucking doubled in the corner. And he's very good. He's very skilled, but no wingers. Not Aryan Robin, nobody with only one foot, a strong left foot, can deal with that. And somebody told me today uh, an old, a much older Arsenal fan who I was talking to, uh, shout out Gene. He said, Taka is like black Aryan Robin. It's kind of true. He can only use one foot and they're, it's the same run style and everything to cut in. But Robin was very, very good with his, you know, strong foot. Saka's not quite, he's not the shooter that Robin was and. Like they got to figure something out because the involvement of the wingers is not where it needs to be in terms of contributions to, to goal scoring. We're getting goals from all over. I think it needs to be tilted a little bit more up top. If they really want to put games away, those guys have to score more. No, your top scorers and Katsy and Saka with five, and then you got yeah. Havertz with four. That's tough, dude. Havertz, Havertz top three. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Odegaard four, Rice three, Jesus three, Trissard three, Martinelli only two. It's Martinelli that's like the largest issue this season. And I think he's so talented. That's why I'm hard on him. That's why it's tough to watch. I just want to see more from him. All right, let's go. Let's uh let's move on from that. I know that was miserable. Sorry guys. Um to match day twenties previews, right? Yeah, we can get into that. Okay. Uh, Luton-Chelsea, first match of match day 20. The Saturday game at 7.30. Uh, this is like a marquee Chelsea letdown spot, no? You would think that. Uh, I, Zach, I don't want to think that, but I feel like it might be. Well, if you want to go that way, Zach has taken Luton. Oh. Uh, I went with Chelsea. I think it's going to be a great win in the year. We've already seen how this played out before. Cozy 3-0 win. We're going to dominate possession. It's ultimately going to come down to set pieces. And if we play with those three or four center backs back there, I would like to believe we're going to have the size to to contend what they're going to do. And 
I think we we're going to bait them in and get those quick counterattack balls with Sterling rested and Cole Palmer rested. Mudrick down the left is a must start, and if we can get him going in the first 10 minutes and expose that back five, it should be good. And hopefully, I think I would like to see Nkunku start at the number nine in this game over Jackson, potentially. We can finally see how he works with Sterling and Palmer as well, and I think it'll be a great result. Okay, uh, I'm going to take Chelsea as well. I think you guys end the season on a high note. I, I This Luton, like, set-piece fetish stuff, I, I cannot willingly go with Luton. I, don't, I do not like to watch it. It makes me very ill, um, so I'll take Chelsea. Up next, Crystal Palace versus Brentford, one of the 10 a.m. games. Uh, both of these teams struggling a bit at the minute. Um, Brentford four losses in their last five and Crystal Palace three losses in their last five. Technically Brentford have one more point over the five game stretch than Palace, but they're right neck and neck in the table at 19 and 18 points respectively. So you could call this one a six pointer. Um, I am leaning with Crystal Palace. I think as it was so bad last week, he'll be better this week. Uh, and I, I think a Mateta goal is in order as well. I sure hope it is. I'll take Palace. I'm going with Palace. Zach's taking a draw. I like Eze as well. This Brentford midfield has, has been lacking. They don't have the the pizzazz, that, that that grit in the middle to be creative on the ball going forward. And I think Eze is going to take advantage of that. Alise down the right against that Sam Gudos potentially is going to be an absolute mismatch from hell. So I like Palace here. Okay. Um, and then we have up next Manchester City versus Sheffield United. Uh, City an overwhelming favorite, as everybody would expect. This game is at the Etihad. Uh, while I would love for City to lose, they certainly will not. I will take them to win this one. Yep, I'm going City. So is Zach. Still no Holland. All right. Still no Holland? Yeah, they're saying he'll be out until January 13. Wow. Yeah, those bone bruises are very painful. They're just taking it easy with them. That's smart. Um, okay. Uh, up next, Aston Villa and Burnley. Good get back game for Burnley or for Aston Villa at Villa Park. Great home record. Uh, still, uh, I'll take Villa. Yeah, Burnley's not going to be that team to really sit back like we see with Sheffield and and West Ham, so I think it'll be an open game. I think this, the pocket space in behind will be there for Bailey, Diaby off the bench potentially if he doesn't start, as well as Watkins. So, yeah, I like Villa here. Okay, and then Wolves versus Everton. Who do you have on that one? Uh, tough, tough here. I yeah. like a draw for me. Zach's going with Wolves. I am going to take Everton. Um, Wang He Chen with the back spasm. Never know. Might not play in this one. Everton probably feel a little hard done by after the, the penalty decision and the change of tides against Manchester City, even though they probably never really had a chance of winning it anyway. Uh, I'll take Everton. I think they play with a fire in this one. I, I think they could uh, pull it out. Nottingham Forest versus Manchester United up next. United coming off a gigantic victory over Aston Villa. This one's at the city ground. Uh, United still better away from home. I'm going to take United. Yep, uh, Zach's also taking United. Uh, I'm going to go with a draw here. Why is? 
I think the counter the counterattack from Forrest is going to be something that United's going to struggle with, with that pace in behind, Gibbs White, Helanga, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, I just think it's going to be too much for their midfield to really comprehend there. If Erickson's in there, he's not going to be able to keep up with the, that those three and their pace, and Minu's just one guy. So I think that's going to be a problem for them, and I think Matt Turner's going to have himself a day in goal. Okay. Uh, then we have Fulham versus Arsenal. I'll just go with Arsenal. They need to bounce back, so hopefully they win that one. Yeah, I'm taking Arsenal. So is Zach. This would be a tough one for Fulham to bounce back with. They have three straight defeats. Um, have been getting peppered as of lately. Leno isn't on his best game. He's been letting in some stinkers. Uh, and that back four hasn't been the most consistent. So I think this could be a nice get-back game for Arsenal here. Yeah, it better be. Uh, Tottenham versus Bournemouth. Uh, oh, man, this is a tough one. Tottenham are the overwhelming favorite, but considering the way they just played and considering who they're missing at the back, I think I I might edge towards Bournemouth. I'm going to go with a draw, but Tottenham, all the money's on Tottenham already. The bets are in I'm looking at right now. Uh, yeah, I'll take Bournemouth, or a draw, a draw. I'm taking a draw as well. I like what Bournemouth's got going on and that back four. Is a little inconsistent for Tottenham. I don't know what Romero's situation is. Um, oh, he's got a hammy issue. He's going to be out until February. So, um, yeah, that back four is going to be sus. And Basuma's still on suspension. So, it's going to be what we saw today. Ooh, and uh, Kulisevsky picked up his fifth yellow. So, he'll miss this oh, game as well. So, they're going to be heavily, heavily hampered, both in the attack, midfield, and defense. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with the draw here. Zach's taking Bournemouth outright. Okay. Um, I like that one, Zach. Uh, okay, we have just two more games. Liverpool versus Newcastle. Uh, who do you have in that one? Yeah, I got Liverpool at home here. Uh, Newcastle have been struggling with, with results as of lately. They've dropped down to ninth position. Mm -hmm. Only four points above Chelsea, four defeats in the last five and have just been struggling to fit on the defensive end even though they have their all their defense back besides pope they've they've been struggling there i think it has to do with their midfield miley is just doesn't have that experience to have that to hold down that position they need joel jolington back and gamarez just isn't doesn't seem to be having that spark as he did last season and the year before so i'm gonna go liverpool zach is as well okay uh i will take a draw. Uh, I don't know why. I think maybe Newcastle uh, summons something up. I sure hope they do. Uh, I need a, a, a game like that from Newcastle right now. Uh, and then up next, final game of the week, West Ham versus Brighton. Um, I have faith that Deserby will outmanage David Moyes, even though Mikel could not. I will take Brighton. I think they win this one in a route. Okay, yeah. I do like road teams against West Ham, but I'm going to go with a draw here. And Zach agrees he's taking a draw. Okay, cool. Um, That's all from us, right? No, no, it's not. We need to do our best and worst of the week.
Yeah, let's get it out of the way. Let's start with that worst player. You want to rip off the band-aid? Um, yeah. I feel like I've given it to this guy before. Uh, I'm not sure. Alexander Zinchenko cannot play left back at Arsenal anymore. He cannot. He didn't even make that many mistakes today, but he can't. He he can't play there. It's just not. It's not good. Uh, he's not a good one-on-one -on -one defender. Uh, yeah, I gotta give it to Zinchenko. We need somebody else in there. Tell me, Asu, when he comes back, or uh, Kivior, even Cedric Suarez can probably play left back too. Uh, he doesn't really belong on the team, but Zinchenko's gotta maybe spend some time on the bench or on a pitch learning how to defend. I I don't want to see it anymore. That's all. Uh, for me, honorable mention to Bernd Leno. Um, poor performance. His his shot stopping ability was poor. Uh, not we didn't even mention his incident with the ball boy. He was going to get the ball. The ball boy handed it to him. He wanted it thrown to him. He pushed the ball boy. Uh, just a nice little nudge on the chest. There was a whole commotion made up about it. Eventually, the ball boy was. Uh, his duties were were stripped of him. He had to go down the tunnel, and they replaced him. So. Uh, he's up there for that, but I gotta go with Nathan Collins for that that, that the poor back pass and the error on the other goal too. He just had an absolute blinder. Some may say he was uh he was told before the match to it was match match fixing here. I don't know. <laughs> it was uh, for his former club. It was a weird one there. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. How about our best? Yep. Brought to you by Eli. I'm the best man. I did it. Mm. Who who is who is this week's best player for you? It's Carnacho for me. This might be the first and last time that you see me give this to a United player this season. Uh, but he deserves credit for how good he was uh, in this game. The steel and grit that these guys, Hoyland included, um, exhibited against a very 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 good Aston Villa team who are extremely tough to break down uh should be applauded so he's my player of the week two huge goals in a huge moment uh that's just absolutely gigantic for a player of his age uh and just huge in mental development for guys that are going to be in the spotlight it's you really cannot uh, overstate how important goals like that are in a young player's career. So congratulations to Garnacho and United. Boz, I know you're listening. Congratulations, buddy. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you get a couple more than just this one, but um, well done to him and to United. Yeah, another close close race from me. Honorable mention to Phil Foden. Absolutely popping off, filling in in that number 10 role. But uh, I feel like I have to go with this guy because it doesn't seem like any other week he'll get it but uh hopefully he disproves me gotta go with chris with Hattie's yeah former yeah r9 performance um absolute baller there so hopefully it continues for him and especially nuno's sake he's got to build up that credibility after the poor showing in saudi and i mean shout out nuno for getting out of the fucking desert you know what a guy he, he got paid he got paid a big bag and left immediately I, I, yeah absolutely love to see that you really do good for him uh, I don't, he's not like a great manager, but he's all right. He's, he's serviceable. He'll be good for Nottingham Forest. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Oh yeah. Genuinely guys, we're not exaggerating. If you haven't watched the Chris Wood 
uh, you know, hat trick. I, I urge you to go spend a couple of minutes and watch it because you would you would not expect a, a player like Chris Wood uh, to add those three goals together in one performance. You know, maybe over a career, but that was it was very impressive. So go watch that. I think that's it though, right? Yep, that's all she wrote. Yeah, so you guys got an hour and twenty this time because I was crying for half an hour. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media at post 20 pod. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. For those of you that listen every week, have my phone number, have my Twitter handle. Uh, please contact me and let me know what the audio sounds like. Uh, I'll be listening, but of course I am open to constructive criticism and, uh, you know, just overall, everybody's got a different taste in audio and what it sounds like. So let us know if it's not good. Um, guys, again, thanks for listening. Check the social media and we'll see you all next week. Take care.